and welcome to the Bread, Wine, and Everything Fine podcast, where I'll be talking about all things food, the finer things, and things that are fine just the way they are. I'm your host, Sancha Toth, a bread and wine-loving photographer, wife, and mother who loves gathering people in my home to eat good food and have good conversation. I learn so much from the people I get to talk to, and I'm very excited to start sharing some of those conversations here on this podcast. On this episode, we're shifting gears again to a conversation about environmentalism. What does this have to do with bread, wine, and everything fine? Well, today's guest, Evan Mitchell, breaks down why taking care of our planet has to be part of our lifestyle if we're going to do anything about it. He's a man who wears many hats, but he took the time to share about one of them and how Calgary-based team are on course to change the world. If you've ever been curious about what you can do to save our planet, keep listening. Well, hello, Evan, and welcome to the Bread, Wine, and Everything Fine podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I am excited, and it's kind of fun. I feel like our paths have crossed in a variety of different ways over the past, oh my gosh, like maybe even like, I don't know, eight, eight years? Nearly. Or something like that. Yeah, like in the photography world and just Calgary is small. And you photographed um, an anniversary session for my husband and I. There have been a few things. And now we're here to talk about something that is becoming very near and dear to my heart and I know um, is very near and dear to yours. So for any listeners who do not know Evan, he is a man who wears many, many hats. And we're going to kind of talk about a few of those hats today. So I would love to hear from you. Let's talk a little bit about environmentalism climate change, which I realize is a total disconnect from the photography that I just referenced, um, but is very much a part of your life right now. Um, I would love to know uh, just a little bit about how this became to be something that's important to you, um, and then we can kind of dive into what that's shaping up to look like. Um, and if I have a few other questions, which I'm excited to ask, but yeah, I'd love, and I think listeners would love to hear how did, how did that become a focus for you in your life? And, um, yeah, what are some things that you started to do when that became important to you? Yeah, I'm a bit of a diehard hippie. I, (laughs) I grew up on Vancouver Island and now I live in Calgary. So it's, it's really hard to tell I even grew up there at all, but it was about a year and a half ago. My wife, Virginia, is also a photographer with me. We sat down and we just started looking at environmental impact and footprints and carbon footprints and starting doing all this, you know, fun math, which for me was fun. And she, you know, labored through it. And I really appreciate her patience. And as I I talked about it, but we found out that the average Canadian emits about like 19 to 24 cubic tons of carbon emissions, which if you just think about how light carbon is, and how much a ton weighs, like you think about how much of an area that has to be. Mm-hmm. So like that, by looking at the numbers and saying we, we have a, a 1200 square foot home, nice modest home, two cars, because we both work nine to five jobs and we're whipping, whipping around in our commute and we do laundry, we eat meat rarely here and there. We're like, okay, in full environmental footprint after the math, we're about 16 tons each. And we thought that was pretty decent. We're like, you know, we're we're not as high as the average Canadian, certainly not as high as the average Calgarian, mm-hmm. but 
I wonder what we could do to reduce this. And we started doing the math. We, we cut out meat entirely. We would sell both of our cars. We would downsize to like a, a 500 square foot house, which is the easiest to heat. Mm-hmm. And we would never do laundry again. And we were able to reduce our carbon footprint from 16 tons to 11. And it was a dramatic shift in our lifestyle without a dramatic shift in the impact we were making in the environment. And it turns out just existing in Canada, specifically Calgary as well, you will have a footprint of, of nine tons carbon no matter what you do. There's no escaping that. And we really wrestled with that, that just our presence of breathing and living (laughs) as sustainable of a life as we could, the odds were kind of stacked against us. The Mm -hmm. system was somewhat stacked against us. And this was just factoring our our lifestyle. If you look at the oil sands, a lot of the industrial complex in Alberta, you'd actually have to distribute an additional 40 to 50 additional tons onto your own footprint. And it was so disheartening. Why do we live um, here? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's also it's, minus whatever outside. Like for anyone who's listening in Canada, Celsius makes sense. It's minus, it's been minus like 25 plus wind chill in the States. If you're listening from the States, it's, I think we matched minus 39 Fahrenheit the other day. Yes. So yes, why do, like why crazy. do we live here? And that makes a lot of sense why heat is required here and our carbon footprint is that way. And if I'm not mistaken, um, in previous conversations, you've, you've mentioned coal. That's, that's what is that, how would, how would that be worded? Is that what powers Alberta? The, yeah, the majority of, of Alberta is coal. Um, and that is what it is. You know, we will change the infrastructure over time, but it's, it's just fascinating that, you know, in, in Canada, um, and in, in fact, the world, Canada has some of the highest, carbon footprints in the planet because of our lifestyle and where we live and additionally calgarians just have the highest footprints of all so is this interesting it's hard to say um it doesn't necessarily like impact all of us at an individual level it's hard to know what we can do with it and so we just started digging into hard numbers like what can we do in um in the in the large scale Mm -hmm. to help people to empower people to not just reduce their environmental footprint but to entirely offset it and just obliterate it into nothing. I like that. And I mean, it sounds easy. It sounds great when you put it like that. Yeah. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but how, <laughs> how much do you believe it costs to offset one ton of carbon emissions? Just take a guess. Oh my goodness. I have no idea. Okay. Like this is like when someone asks you like, what's your favorite movie? And suddenly you've never watched a movie before. This like, is- it's just like... <laughs> Totally great example. And, you know, through planting trees, protecting land and cleaning the ocean and uh, ecosystem rehabilitation, it's about $20 a month, maybe $30 a month, depending on the organization that you choose. But offsetting your footprint is, is, is relatively inexpensive per the ton. So if you're emitting 16 tons of emissions on average, which is us, um, like we're talking yeah. less than $250, $300 a year to live sustainably. Which... Like we kind of, before this episode started recording, we were chatting a little bit, just catching up. And I was mentioning that we did a no spend January. And, um, I mean, it's a little bit relative in the sense that we own a business and so kind of we're a partnership. So some of our expenses and business expenses get, get kind of all lumped together and there's some overlap, but we saved in comparison to last January, I think it was like. $3,000. 
awesome. <laughs> which, which I'm, I know has some, someone's like work we did on the house last year and whatever, but even so to, to think of that being like two to $300 annually, um, to offset is like peanuts actually when you consider it that's crazy that's awesome we, we, <laughs> we did a we did a no spend clothing year last year Ooh. and it was a lot of fun it was super challenging and yeah I, we went we were on our way to go down to costa rica and we're like we, we don't have flip-flops we don't have swimsuits i and so i ended up going down i got some like bare essentials like you know swimsuit but i couldn't find like good flip-flops that i liked and i remember like hiking to to like a scuba boat in the water and i'm wearing like full-on sneaker boot kind of things and <laughs> people are looking at me and they're waterlogged and i'm struggling to get on and i'm like it's you know embarrassing canada i guess yeah so that's very cool you but, guys did that though well and i was gonna ask too like so you kind of broke it down a little bit but just so say taking that 16 tons to 11 I mean, that, that was a difference. And I think about, um, it's not offsetting by any means, but I think that those, um, those steps that you took are, are super interesting. And, and I'm curious about, because we're trying to implement, um, like just day to day things, you know, whether it's, it's just even like waste, um, things like, I love Calgary for having the compost program that it does. It's that's been huge. We we literally fill a bucket of compost every two days, um, and I think about that. I think about um, single use plastics, things like that, or the the incorporating like a meatless. You know, we're not specifically on like a Monday or Tuesday or anything, but just trying to find protein in different sources, and and those have been things that have you know, it's, you hear about them, you try and implement them, but it's actually quite overwhelming to do them all at once to try and suddenly make this shift. So it's, it's been slow and steady, but yeah. What would you say? What was like the first thing that you did say a listener is like, I don't even know where to start on this journey. What's one thing that you guys did kind of off the bat that could at least do something that isn't a monetary contribution? Yeah, this is, this is tough because environmentalism is, a minefield of knowing mm-hmm. how to live sustainably. You know, for example, yes, you can you can deny the plastic bags you get get at the grocery store, and in turn use a reusable bag. But if you look at the product it's made out of, you got to make sure it's cotton or something organic. Because if it's if it's made out of a mm-hmm. nylon or a polyester, or another plastic or synthetic, it's significantly worse. And this is just one example of of many when you're trying to get into like the sustainable lifestyle, it is, it is a balance. Um, but mm-hmm. one little secret we found out in the last little while is it has to do with microplastics. It has to do with microplastics entering the ecosystem and going into the ocean. Um, fast fashion or just general fashion u- utilizes a lot of synthetics and, you know, nylons, polyesters, mm-hmm. spandex is a huge one. And do you know when you like throw your, your clothes in the washing machine, and then it fills yeah. it with water and then it dumps the water and rinses it out. And oh, I, <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> and then you put your clothing in the dryer and then the dryer spins them dry and you pull out the lint drawer and you start, you know, scraping all the lint off. And some of that's cotton, some of that's wool, some of that's other natural materials. But a big chunk of it, depending on the material of your clothing, is it's actually just microplastics. That's what mm. microplastics look like. And one of the first shifts we made was all natural clothing and it's tough Mm -hmm. to do and you have to be buyer conscious and aware and 
it costs a little bit more money, but I actually find that the clothing has been lasting longer, but that's a weird one that we discovered early on. And it's a tough one. It's a very difficult one because you've had it's people have clothing for sometimes years and years and you don't want to give it away. Right. No, I, I think that that one is actually, I, I mean, it comes to mind fast fashion for many, many reasons is, is something I struggle with. Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I actually have never thought about it from a microplastic uh, perspective. It's usually more the labor that goes into the, into the garments, which is kind of my, um, the reason I've tried to avoid it when I can, but that's super interesting. I've never thought about that impact. Okay. Noted listeners take note. <laughs> and I don't want anyone to feel guilty because it is no. just a minefield of knowing how to you know, change your life and your behavior and your buying patterns around trying to live more sustainable. But if you mm -hmm. just stop buying, we all did, uh, synthetics in our clothing. Um, right now, about 60% of ocean plastics uh, in certain areas of the world are actually made up of those synthetics of polyester and nylon. Mm. So just that decision alone could make a significant difference in microplastics into the ocean. And it's, it's generally a small one. All we have to do is buy naturally and manufacturers are going to take notice that corners can't be cut. And I think, yeah, just like you said, and I'll say this again and again, there is no shame in buying what you can afford. And I even think this has been a conversation throughout, you know, COVID of like, you know, support local, support local, support local. And sometimes that is out of budget, but I think there is a way that if there is income and if you can prioritize that income within your budget, that that 100% um, should be a priority. Um, and I think there is like a, a responsibility to feel of being like, can I afford this? Can I make it so that I can afford it? Um, and then take responsibility for it. But for sure, no shame in the, in the budget thing. I 100% understand that. Um, but sorry, I kind of pulled you away from, you were talking about how you were moving towards, um, yeah, this environmental focus after realizing that, um, it was 20, it could, what did you say? $20 a month or two, 200 to 300 annually that annually. could offset. And it all depends on your environmental footprint. Um, yeah. And it's kind of, as you were saying, like we're, we're approaching, um, environmentalism and like, a, a, a lot of uncertainty of like, what is best? Um, and in, in the previous mm -hmm. decade in the last few decades, we typically solved the majority of our problems with products. You know, we, we have a problem mm -hmm. and you buy the product and it solves the problem. Yes. And this has gone on probably the majority of the industrial era. But something super cool is happening with environmentalism is that it's a behavioral issue. We're not yeah. we're not really going to be in be able to uh, product our way out of this one. There's going to be uh, a relationship between products and our behavior that help uh, help empower us to make smarter, wider, wiser decisions for the world. But it, it will be a very difficult one. Um, I, I yeah. think about products too, in terms of, um, I, I think that's so interesting that, yeah, this solution is a product and that product actually requires more manufacturing, even if it's a sustainable option somewhere, there has to be energy that is used to produce that thing. <laughs> and so that I've just never thought about it. This is kind of blowing my mind. So this is, this, if this is just for me, let it all be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, continue. Sorry. I was just wrapping my head around product. So the, the biggest thing we can do, um, all of us, and it's tough because this is where the money counts is when you do see someone innovating and responding to the environmental movement, it's a vote with a dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, carbon engineering in BC is one of the world's best, uh, carbon engineers that suck carbon out of the atmosphere, or the air, and they're trying to turn it into a semi-sustainable jet fuel, which is really cool. Um, and they're getting a lot of funding. Or if you if you see an opportunity to go hybrid or to go EV or full electric, um, vote with your dollar if you can, if it's your opportunity, because the more we're able to vote with our dollar, the faster the innovations can happen. It's kind of like an incentive, mm-hmm. not for us, but for corporations to catch up with our belief system and our mentality and our values. Yep. The most important reason it's so important we vote with our dollar is, it, this is kind of weird, but I've been thinking about it. Everyone deserves to have a reasonable standard of living. I don't think I don't think anyone should mm-hmm. ever argue that people deserve to live below the poverty line. That's just insane. But a yeah. lot of people do live below the poverty line, and we're trying to lift them up to the, to an equal standard of living or above the poverty line. But to do so would mean a vast increase of that individual's environmental footprint because they'd have to be consuming more by living a different lifestyle. Hmm. So in other words, or what other words, I'll put it like this: you know, if um. If everyone in China all at once had the same standard of living as a Calgarian, the environmental footprint and impact would be so vast, we wouldn't have a chance to solve global warming, period. It would actually just catch up to us and spiral out of control. So the point isn't just about finding a way to reduce everyone's environmental footprints with just behavior because people don't get to have a reasonable lifestyle. It's about finding an innovation in technologies that are stagnating that can lift people up to have an equal standard of living that don't have the same environmental impact. This is the point. Mm. And this will be one of the most difficult things to overcome in the next 100 years is the vast populations on Earth fighting for equal rights across the planet is making sure people have access to live above the poverty line without an insane increase in the environmental footprint. These are like, it's, it's super interesting to hear all of these things and just, you make them kind of accessible for like the average listener, because, um, I feel like when I hear the term climate change or environmentalism, um, yeah, my thoughts 100% go to product. Um, they do not even take into consideration the implications outside of like the ocean level rising, you know, I think, and I would say that I'm a, I would say I do some research and, and know some things. And so, and so even to be learning so much in the space of what, 18 minutes, I'm, I'm kind of blown away already. So, um, what, I guess this is kind of a a broad question, maybe, um, what, what are you doing about it? (laughs) I'll tell a fun story. And I'll talk about okay. what, what we think we're actually capable of building in Calgary for environmentalism, which is like a totally okay. bizarre thing that we have on the go. Um, okay, I'm excited. I was listening to a podcast a very long time ago with a brilliant marketer and genius named Rory Sutherland, who wrote a book called Alchemy. And in, and in his like many TED Talks, and he got invited back many times in the mid-2000s, uh, he was approached by Britain to brand and create a, pub, pub, a positive public perception of a multi-billion dollar pound investment into a light rail system. And they, they wanted to make a train that was usually a three-hour commute 
down to two, uh, two hours and 15 minutes, so a 45 minute reduction. Okay. And the budget was just absolutely insane to pull this off. And their goal was to get more people inside the trains. And so Rory said, give me half a percent of your budget and I'll make everyone ride in your, your trains again. So he, he did us a couple cool things. He said, um, I'm going to take a couple million pounds. I'm going to make the most comfortable seats in the world. And okay. in, instead of people having to stand uh, and have just like little ropes to hold on to, I'll have standing desks and I'll have charging ports and I'll have Wi-Fi, I'll have the comfiest massage chairs of your life. And all of a sudden people are going to start taking your train because there'll, there'll, be, there'll be a purpose to be in them or like a, a value proposition will be added. And I bet you if I made, um, if I hired a bunch of models, male and female, to walk up and down the aisle and hand out free gifts and fruit the whole time, more people will be like wanting to stay on the train longer. You can make it a four-hour train line, train um, trip, let alone three hours. And the joke was is that this is it. We, we, we tend to solve problems in engineering. But there's all these psychological secrets around us to solve these problems. Right. What we're working on is a psychological or behavioral way to, to solve climate change. Hmm. And then to put it as simply as possible, it's probably going to cost somewhere between 50 trillion, 40 trillion dollars to reverse climate change. But the world is already spending $1 trillion a year on lottery prizes and games. And so we saw that as we saw that as a 50 year plan to reverse climate change. So we were inventing a product called Dreamville. It's a mobile app. It's coming out soon where you plant trees protect land and clean the ocean. We track every seedling that goes down, every square foot and every pound of plastic that comes out of the ocean. And for every impact you make, you get to enter a nationwide prize giveaway. And so for lack of a better term, it's kind of like a lottery for feeding the environment or imagine roll up the rim for the environment. And this is what we're inventing. And it's been a lot of fun to create. That is so cool. And I've seen little sneak peeks of it popping up on Instagram and and I think what I love about it is that there is, um, how do I put this without offending people? I think as a society, we sort of like to have an easy option for things. I think the consumer likes to have things presented, easy options, easy solutions. And so kind of what you've done is taken the work out of it to actually offset and to make a difference and not to say that people can't be passionate about the environment or or be putting in the work but I mean I personally am probably not going to take the time to go build a relationship with somebody who's who's going to go you know plant the trees and so to have that work groundwork done is actually really really incredible that's so cool do you have any okay I'm a data person I feel like you are too um, do you have like a sort of for like the average person who would contribute monthly, what could be, what's the minimum, what's the minimum someone could contribute? The minimum is $5 a month. Um, and in fact, okay. if you try to unsubscribe, you'll get a pop-up of stay involved for $1 a month. So technically the barrier couldn't be any lower, um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but we do have subscribers well into the $50 a month who are planting you know, about 500 trees a year, which is very cool. That's um, what I was going to ask if you could, if you like what an average would be based on a different contribution. 500 is, I, I would assume quite a bit and more than someone would just do on their own. Like I'm not just going to go plant 500 trees a year personally. 
Yeah. Like I would need to be paid to go plant trees. My back is not good <laughs> enough to do that anymore. No. Like at the at the right age of 28, you know. But I I think this is so cool. So this is this was um kind of a brainchild of a Calgary team. We're across Western Canada, which is great. We're decentralized um, and we meet daily to keep building this thing. Uh, we're navigating a lot of relationships with charitable partners and other environmental organizations. It's a lot of work. Um, That's so cool. It excites me and is kind of like, the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, this just is going to be everywhere. It's really, really, really cool. Like what's the kind of big dream if you can share that? I don't know if that's like a something you can share publicly, but what's kind of like the, the big goal? Oh man, there's something happening right now on the internet and because of the internet. Hmm. I think I think a lot of us grew up thinking there was a, a room of, of, of middle-aged white men kind of making a lot of the world's decisions. And if we weren't mm-hmm. even conspiracists, we were hoping that there was someone, please let there be someone at the wheel driving this whole machine. And turns out there's mm-hmm. no one. Uh, there's there's right. no one here to save us from ourselves. So, so what Dreamable is, is it's not just a thing for the environment. What it is, is a tool for everyone's heart. It, it takes all the potential energy that's building up around social causes, whether it's environmentalism or something else. And it gives people a low barrier entry access point to say, this is a thing I care passionately about. And to collaborate and connect with millions of other people around the world to vote with their dollar and say, this is a thing I'm willing to spend money on. Mm-hmm. It, it's a people's like, movement at, at it's like at its easiest terms to understand it. And even just how that is communicated makes so, so much sense. I mean, even thinking about this past holiday season and how many people were pushing to shop local, like vote with your dollar into our economy. And people got on board with that. And it was like this, it felt almost too good to be true that so many people were passionate about spreading the world and the word, the world. Yes, I am thinking about the world, about the (laughs) the word. Um, But just that it was like, we have the power as people who have access to devices and are connected through the internet to actually change something. And, um, you know, to not you know, people are absolutely working at these big box stores. So I'm not saying that those needed to be closed down because that 100% is job security, job security. Um, but that there was this push to be like, all right, we have the responsibility as the general public to take care of where we come from and where we live and our economy. And I don't personally know the stats on, if there was like an increase, um, or even in Calgary, I I would be so curious to see like there has been even yeah. And there's there's a couple objective tools you can use to find out. Uh, the simplest Ooh. one being the market cap of Shopify as a stock. If you look at their oh. total growth or revenue, typically that means that entrepreneurs across North America and even around the world have created accounts on Shopify to create an e-commerce page to sell a product mm. that they invented. Um, this here's a, here's a cool. really cool way to look at it is the, the more the, the more the internet grows and e-commerce grows at individual level, the more we're able to take back the economy. Uh, mm-hmm. there's something really beautiful we can learn from bees in this. And I promise mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this back around. <laughs> I trust you. Okay. <laughs> 
So something really important we can learn from the bees in this. And entrepreneurship has been on a 13-year decline since 2007, that financial collapse. And entrepreneurship continues to decline. You could just look at the number of incorporations that are made in North America, Canada, or USA has steadily declined. And the bees are telling us super important about how to fight monopolies like Walmart versus Amazon or Pepsi versus Mm. Coke to break into this market. And when a bee finds a very, like a bountiful flower, it's going to, you know, run back to the hive and it's going to break out a dance. And if the dance is like, okay, a couple bees are going to go and scout it out and be like, yeah, this is legit. But if a bee comes back to the hive and like busts it out, a huge chunk of that hive is going to go because it knows it's a serious find. Right. Here's the, I really want to see this this bee dance, but continue, continue. <laughs> here's the super unique thing. Every beehive is different, but typically about 20% of the beehive refuse to follow anyone else. They, hmm. they will always do their own thing. And in a sense, they're like the entrepreneurs of the hive. Mm-hmm. And to, to bring this all back, the reason the internet is going to be, be such an important tool is if we're not creating vast diversity in, in how we're producing our products or the, the goods that we're producing, we're essentially leaving it in the hands of abuse, a few select retailers or a few select manufacturers to create all the things that we want, which I just don't believe to right. be true. And just no. like just like the 20% of bees that refuse to follow, follow anyone else and just scatter out across the forest to go find their own beautiful thing, this is a very important survival tool. Because let's say that that bee that busted it out saying this is a super important you know, flower patch to go to was lying or was mistaken or gets half the hive lost, you still have 20% of the bees who are exploring on their own. Right. And this right. is the important part of entrepreneurship. It's, it's always yes. going to come back to the people. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm really, really inspired. And it actually makes me quite proud of... Um, actually where we come from and where we live. I think Calgary is a really, really prime example. I know that we kind of get a bad rap for being oil and gas in Alberta, but I have been so impressed by the resiliency of entrepreneurs all across the city from kind of the recession to now, and then hit kind of compounded by a pandemic, um, to be like, okay, what are we going to do? And what are we going to create? And it makes me really excited for um, what, I don't want to say like the new normal, because it's just, I think we're just going to move forward. Um, But what it looks like when pandemic restrictions are no longer in place and how people are going to be innovative in ways they weren't before, because there, there was never that pressure to do that. And I know that there's a lot of like heartbreak that's Mm -hmm. been the result of this. And I mean, I think you and I can both (laughs) attest to uh, loss of income in the wedding photography industry (laughs) in 2020. (laughs) Um, So we are we are not exempt from that. Um, But I it excites me. I, I when I think about it and yeah, to think about what's ahead and even just like hearing you talk about Dreamable and being like this, this was kind of created. I know it was um, maybe an idea prior to this, but this has really come to life during this period of time. And you're coming up with a solution, like an actual solution, <laughs> which is like kind of something that I thought I would never hear. You know, like you're just talking about it, like who's got the wheel? Who, you know, I think you just hear conversations about 
climate change, environmentalism, what do I do, who's doing what? And you kind of hear like cool stories from time to time. And not to say people aren't doing good work, um, but just that this could actually be a solution. That's freaking cool. It's very I'm cool. Like, and I'm proud to know you. This is awesome. <laughs> I really appreciate that. It's yeah, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate that. I don't want to take too much of your time. And I also just kind of didn't want people to come and check out what you're doing. So, um, how can people get involved if this is something that, um, maybe they are already passionate about or would like to learn more about, or would like to, uh, start contributing to what would be the next step? Yeah, the best place to find out what we're doing is uh, dreamable.ca and soon to be dreamable.us in the next few weeks. It's, I think, should be a lot of fun. Or just follow us on Instagram. We give away lots of free trees on Instagram. Uh, we just did a, you know, for every like, we'll take a pound of plastic out of the ocean, which was super expensive, but important we did. And yeah, follow us there. <laughs> and I actually won $50 last week, so that was sweet. Right on. Congratulations. <laughs> I was excited to hear that. Thank you. As, uh, as the community is growing, the prizes have been getting bigger as well, which is awesome. Exactly. Oh, it's so cool. And this has just been so fun for me to um, learn a little bit more about kind of how it came to be and where it's going. Now I have, and I know you've listened to a couple of um, previous Bread, Wine and Everything Fine episodes before, so you probably have heard this question, but I, this podcast technically is centered around bread, wine and everything fine. And the reason that I've kind of taken it in this, um, a bit more of like simple living and sustainable, um, kind of theme for a few episodes is because that's been something I've been wanting to learn about. And it definitely plays very much into our lifestyle and our home, our food, all of it kind of just seeps into everything. So, um, but at the end of every episode, I ask guests two questions. One is if you were going to cook a meal at home, what would your go-to thing be that you make? Um, whether it's just you and Virginia, or maybe you have guests over. And then secondly, if you were to go out to eat, or I suppose in COVID times, it is more so takeout. What is your go-to order? Oh, okay. Um, right now <laughs> for cooking food, it's a, a baked chickpea salad. So you cut up, you know, like a, a, you get coconut rice and then you do a bunch of vegetables, mm. carrots, red peppers, cucumbers, and then you cook up a bunch of chickpeas and you season them like a bit of oil. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to take like a, any vinaigrette, you can vinaigrette, you can do things like a salad dressing vinaigrette and grab some miso and turn it into a sauce Ooh. and place it on, place the, you know, the rice and then the salad on top of the rice and then the chickpeas on top of that. And then the vinegar and then a little bit of miso are on top and it is delicious. That is our go-to with a bottle of bread and butter. Yep. I'm into it. And I've just never even thought about miso with a vinaigrette. That is interesting. When this See, is all over. This is why we will, I do this. We'll have you over. You'll try it out. It's really yes. good. Okay. Now if you were going out and about, um, whether local or anywhere else, do you have a go-to dish that you order or are you like... Are you a bit risky? No, I we have a go-to. So my, my wife is allergic to seafood and shellfish, but we found a ramen place that has a, uh, a vegan ramen, so we can trust it. Ooh. And she goes wild yeah. for it. I've had ramen my whole life. Uh, if you don't, if you can't see me, I'm, I'm Japanese. And 
my <laughs> wife gets six, like this German girl gets to experience ramen. It's very exciting for me. So that, that would be the one. No, I appreciate you answering those questions. At the end of every episode, I just end up really hungry. Um, so <laughs> probably I just made uh, cookies with my little guy today. So I'll probably go crush some of those. It's not um, a vegetable chickpea bowl. <laughs> I'm probably going to have a it, bowl of cereal and go back to work after this. So I, <laughs> okay, I get it. <laughs> but no, thank you so much, Evan. I think we could chat for a really long time about this and maybe we'll have to do this again. Um, kind of when streamable is rolling out, I'm going to just say across the world. Um, but I really, really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Another episode of the bread, wine, and everything fine podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and you will never miss an episode. And if you'd like to connect on Instagram or learn more about other episodes, find me at Sancha Nicole, S-A-N-C-I-A-N-I-C-O-L-E on Instagram. It's a good time, I promise. And I would love to connect with you.